0: Former director of communications for the Democratic National Convention, Jason Rosenberg, goes on the record online.
2: And I asked him what it was like when uh, uh, television came into the convention in the 1940s and 50s. I, I said to him, you know, what, what did that mean for the newspaper, for the radio industry? And, they, and, and he looked at me and he said they hated it. And I said, exactly. That's what we're up against right now in terms of new media.
0: Today, we have a one-on-one interview with the former director of communications for the Democratic National Convention, Jason Rosenberg. I had a chance to sit down with him in my office in Los Angeles, and we spoke about his role as an evangelist for social media with the party's old guard media relations apparatus, uh, the policy he created to credential bloggers at the convention, and how they use the web to bypass the TV news media filter. All that and more after this.
1: Can you upload press releases and manage the media contact information in your online newsroom? Or are you still relying on someone else to do it for you? Are you able to upload high resolution captioned images that reporters and bloggers can download and use in their coverage? Or do you need someone else to do that as well? And what about video? Can you easily upload video to your own branded online newsroom? right inside your existing website or does that require IT support as well? According to Pew Internet, the web is the dominant channel for news and information. If you're a PR person and you're not equipped to communicate effectively online, iPressroom has a solution for you. With iPressroom you get an easy to use online newsroom right inside your existing website. If you can point and click and drag and drop iPressroom gives you everything you need to execute effective online PR campaigns. You can even use our press release Search Engine Optimization Wizard to increase the search rank of your organization's website. To find out more about our online newsroom management solution or for a free 60-day trial of our online newsroom SEO wizard, tweet me at Chris Bechtel, which is B-E-C-H-T-E-L, or... Send email to info at iPressroom.com.
0: Jason Rosenberg, former director of online communications for the Democratic National Convention Committee. Thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you very much, Eric.
0: Now, uh, y- you told me a little bit about what you had done for the uh, Democratic uh, National uh, Convention. But uh, uh, tell us uh,
2: a little bit about, about what you did. Sure. So I was the second um, online communications director um, at the in the convention's history. Um, the first one was in 2004, where they'd credentialed about 30 online bloggers um, to attend the convention. Um, in 2008, they decided they wanted a bigger online presence. They hired me, um, where I was at the convention um, from August 2007 until February 2008. and. Um, we worked together to um, build the most open online, or uh, well, the most open convention um, in 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 the Democratic Party's history. How, how was it open? What was open about it? So the idea was, in years past, you'd have the cameras there, um, and they'd from the networks, and they would show the convention. Cable came in; they'd show a little bit more, but the networks had always threatened to take back hours of broadcasting time. And there's a lot going on at the convention, both on the floor and around the city of Denver, where the, convention, the 2008 convention was held. And so the idea was to allow users to get a view of the convention as if, the, as if they were there. So uh, how, how would you achieve that? Right. So the way that we were doing that was um, – saying, okay, the way that this process is going to be told are from the delegates themselves. Um, and so so the idea was to grant access to as many bloggers who would be talking about the convention 24 hours a day and allow them to tell the story um, the way that they saw fit. But we thought that view was going to come from the people who made up the convention. And and I thought we did a decent job at, at executing that process. So you come into this job
0: and uh I, well, what what do you have to do what's your mandate?
2: There were a few things um the first one is what are we doing um how are we going to make the the credentialing process more professional? From the time uh, 2004, uh, the convention 2004, the 30 credentialed bloggers to I think the 150 bloggers that were cr- credentialed in uh, 2008, the blogosphere had grown by leaps and bounds, was finally taken seriously. So how do we allow in um, bloggers who were professionals? um who were strong writers who actually wrote about politics compared to you know some of the wingnuts on the far left or the far right who really have no place um covering a, a convention as a professional um how do we how do we make that how do we make that happen that was our first issue um the second one was how do we allow bloggers to uh, to cover the convention? Uh, was there going were there going to be any kind of limitations as as you know as some people wanted there to be? and the third one was convincing um, the party convincing you know the stalwarts that uh, opening the convention made any sense so follow- up question on um, you know
0: credentialing bloggers. How did you decide whether or not to let a blogger in or not? was there any Hard and fast criteria? Any quantitative metrics you
2: use to decide who was going to get in and who wasn't? Yeah, that's a good question because there were two. There were two areas. There, there were two qualifiers that would allow a blogger to get in. We had two different pools. The first one was called um, the fifty-state. Um, the fi- it was called the 50 State Program, uh, which went along with then Chairman Howard Dean's um, promise to make the party a party of all 50 states. So we had uh, we we asked um, a blogger who dealt with local issues, state and local issues, um, to to submit their process uh, to submit an application to get onto the blo- to get a, to get a credential that way. So if you were a blogger from Kansas um, and you wanted to cover. Uh, Kansans at the convention you could apply through that program and we allowed uh, one blog in per state and then six for the with the territories um, then there was the general blogger pool, and that would include um, bloggers like Marcos from the Daily Coast or um, John Aravosis from America Blog or Fire Dog Lake or my MyDD.com, uh, the big bloggers who deal with the bigger picture rather than the state level, and that equaled to about 150 credential bloggers.
0: Were you looking at uh, Alexa rankings? Were you looking at inbound links? And if so, what sort of numbers were you looking at? As 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 a uh, testament to a blogger's influence,
2: yeah, that's, that's another good question. We yeah, so we dealt with Alexa, we dealt with um, Technorati. Uh, that's that's how that's how the process worked. We looked for um, uh, relevancy and authority in, in in letting a blogger in. They had to have been around for six months, and they had to have posted at least 120 um, uh, uh, posts about politics.
0: Uh, Democratic National Convention has been going on for a few years now, right. and uh, online is brand new. You were the second online communications director, so I'm curious to know how you were regarded by the machinery, by the apparatus. Were you sort of the geek that was coming in to, to, to mess everything up, or were you the future? I mean, wh- just how much authority were, were, were you vested with?
2: Yeah, I think we got looked at as if we were some anomaly. And I guess in 2008, we were hopefully it won't be in 2012 and beyond. But yeah, we got a lot of questions from um, traditional media. But from their blogging side, the New York Times had a blog at that point, um, and they did they did uh, they did questions about that. But we also got questions from um, National Journal. National Journal did a did a whole story called uh, uh, "New Washington," and it was about the tech leaders. And yeah, I think that people looked at two thousand and eight as the stepping stone, as this is the this is the time where we're going to take bloggers seriously. This is going to be the first time we're going to take. Um, uh, we're going to take the, the online community seriously, and, and we know that they're here to stay. And, and yeah, I think 2008 was a, was, a, was a milestone. In 2012, it'll just be considered uh, as par for the course. But
0: I've got to think as a component, online communications as a component of communications – uh, that you know the old guard media relations dogs inside of the uh, party are sort of looking at you, maybe they're suspicious. I don't know. I'm speculating here. but I mean, w- were they looking at you as uh, you know you're the guy who's responsible for the end of, 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 of print media and and blogs you know aren't honest. And, you know the, the typical um, cliches we hear about the blogosphere. Oh, you know, it's unsubstantiated. It's there's no journalism. there's no fact checking. I got to think you're you're dealing with that,
2: right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a a person by the name of Wally Padroznik who was at the convention. He'd been there for seven conventions and he dealt with the press. And it was funny dealing with him specifically. Um, and getting him to kind of come over to the side of taking new media seriously, and the way that I did it was, uh, he's a he's a historian when it, he's a media historian, and I asked him what it was like when uh, uh, television came into the convention in the nineteen forties and fifties. I, I said to him, you know, what what did that mean for the newspaper, for the radio industry? And they and, and he looked at me and he said they hated it. And I said, exactly. That's what we're up against right now in terms of new media. And at that point, um, uh, I think that th- that was one person that I changed. And using historical evidence, that's how, that's how we kind of flipped him over to the side of saying the online media are here. And it, and it makes sense to invite them and treat them like adults at the party. Uh, there were uh, some other people who were less courteous towards the online community. Um, you know, we had to fight for some scraps. Um, But in the end, I think that the online community was happy the way the convention happened. I think that the convention got strong press online. It didn't hurt that the um, favored candidate uh, of the online community, of the progressive online community, was taking the nomination. I think had it been uh, Hillary Clinton or somebody else, it may have been a different story, Um, especially in the contentious uh, primary system, um, but yeah, I think that the that the way that turned out, I think everything the, the everything sort of fell into place, and um, the online community made do and and became part of the traditional media
0: community. You, you mentioned uh, when we started this conversation that um, uh, the the Democratic National Convention Committee did not want to be beholden to television to reach their constituents. They wanted to be able to reach them themselves. Now, I can see how letting in the bloggers would uh, extend the reach online, but it's still you're still working through a filter. So what did the Democratic National Committee do to create channels for direct communications via the web?
2: Well, so the, one of the first things that we did, we said we we're going to have a live feed gavel-to-gavel. Uh, so it didn't matter where you were. You were, you could watch the convention as long as you're in front of a computer, I guess. You could watch a convention live. So you didn't have to worry about whether it was being shown on CNN or MSNBC because most, most likely it wasn't. Only the primetime hours were. Um there were plenty of blogs being written, uh, you know, from the from the perspective uh, of the of the convention. Um, there was a Twitter feed. There were uh, there was a Flickr feed. Everything that was available at the time was being utilized, and that was always the process: was we're going to make this thing as open as possible, allow as much communication, direct communication between um, uh, the the greater constituency, the. Um, uh, the delegates and the people who work behind the scenes at the convention as much as possible. And if you go back and look at the website, you'll see um, that you know we'd created plenty of content where there was a communication between um, uh, the progressive community and the CEO, Leah Daughtry. Um, question question and answer periods um, all sorts of staff interviews, so people in and around Denver could recognize people but also could communicate with them from outside outside the denver area and around the world
0: and where were you putting all this? Did you have a site of some kind and if so, you know how did you launch that site? How did you manage it? What was the process by which you identified uh, the resources to support that infrastructure
2: so the website was demconvention.com, um, and this was the first time that the Democratic Convention had ever had a permanent website. So they've had websites before, but they've come and gone. Uh, the Democrats had to fight to get this website. I think, it was, I think the name was owned by somebody else at the time. Um, and, yeah, so the, at first the site was hosted um, at the Democratic National Committee. Then, when the DNCC had the, the, sufficient, the, the sufficient funds and the staff and the resources, they took it over and they housed it on their own. Um, but we utilized everything. I mean, you know, YouTube, uh, blip.tv was being used, Flickr feeds. I mean, we took advantage of as many free communication tools as we could.
0: Was there any pushback from, you know, the, the communications department that, hey, you know, we don't want to put our content in some sort of a forum where we don't control what's going on? You know, uh, often, you know, one of the big um, pushbacks you hear from clients, organizations, when they look at, these channels like YouTube and Flickr and and Facebook is hey you know someone's going to come in and say bad things about us so I mean was that concern alive?
2: Oh absolutely I had many many conversations with my bosses and and the, the DNC's lawyer um, to figure out how we were going to do things what would happen if somebody said something that violated campaign finance laws what happens if somebody says something that that is against um, you know a member you know a Democrat Democrats. You know the DNC does not speak ill of another Democrat. If somebody, if some crazy person was running for president and they were part of the primary system the DNC would never officially take a stance against that person. So what would happen if on an official uh, Democratic Party website somebody went on, some poster went on and said something about Mike Gravel or about John Edwards or about Barack Obama? So who would take responsibility for that? Those were big issues at the time and we just kind of had to you know there fortunately for me, there were some precedent that was already being set by the Democratic National Committee or by the Democratic Senate campaign or by the Democratic Congressional campaign, so there were official democratic websites that were open that did have some hostile comments on it, and they dealt with it and that was that was uh, precedent that was that was some evidence that I was able to show to our attorneys and 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 to the communication staff to show them that, yeah, we can deal with this kind of stuff. this is the new world that we're living in, and if we want to be part of it, we have to play the game did um you guys decide to moderate comments oh yeah uh, absolutely i mean we 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 definitely moderated comments um some things I would not allow on the blog, most of it was just unnecessary conversation I mean it it was some of it would cast candidates in a a horrible light or just say ridiculous things that didn't add to a conversation I would never take away a negative comment I would never um, disapprove um, a negative comment about the convention or about any kind of con- uh, content that we put up but if just something was negative and just it, it, or something didn't, part- it didn't add anything to a conversation I wouldn't allow it
0: Was there any concern that if you screened out these and filtered out some of these negative comments that perhaps some sort of backlash might occur on other sites?
2: Yeah, I mean we monitored all sorts of websites um, and and sometimes you know, we'd find things that, that you know, we, we'd, we'd, we'd find people were saying negative things about the convention Um, if that happened, I would contact that person and explain, explain ourselves, explain why, you know, why this was going on. My whole process about being a a practitioner in the, in the new media world, um, is to, is to reach out and talk to that person, uh, who is causing any kind of conflict. And if somebody felt that I was moderating their content, um, inappropriately, I would go out and speak to that person. And if we couldn't agree on something, or if we could agree on something, then we'd, we'd figure something out. I remember
0: um, working in the Grammys press room years ago uh, when we brought in the uh, the Internet into the press room for the first year. We were going to accommodate Internet reporters. And we literally couldn't get the winners to stop by the Internet room. No one wanted to do that. They wanted to do print and they wanted to do photo and they wanted to do electronic. Um, when when you look at uh, yourself as uh, the shepherd of online communications for the Democratic National uh, Convention, um, was there a a similar resistance from the types of uh, uh, from the candidates from the the different uh, figureheads in the party who media white might, might want access to but you know who may be more interested in network network TV news I mean were they as forthcoming and willing and available to um, give of themselves to the blogosphere as they were the mainstream media
2: I think that in 2008 the successful candidates the candidates who got it wanted to be in front of the blogosphere they all, Elected officials, candidates, they all had a strong online presence, or at least they had an online practitioner in their office. Of course they wanted to be on national news first. Of course they wanted to be on NPR first. But the idea to be in front of the party faithful, in front of people who are looking for this information, the people who are spending the time during the convention when the exciting speeches aren't necessarily going on, to find as much information as they can, both in front of the podium and off the podium and off site, they wanted to be in front of those people because that was their base. Um, and so the online world really benefited at that point by being the flavor of the month. Um, and so I think that, I don't think that there was too much resistance. I think people wanted to be in front of the online community, they still fear it. They don't understand it, but at this point, if they had a staffer that said to them, uh, you need to go and speak to this group of bloggers, they would do it. Jason
0: Rosenberg, former director of online communications for the Democratic National Conference Committee, thank you for joining us. Thank you.